0: So uh, we've been trying to do this for a couple weeks before Ricardo comes up. I I do need to announce officially, okay, because we announced officially last week the uh, births of Nora Louise Watkins as well as William Henry Wall where they actually showed up and they were at church, but they weren't at church, but they are officially here today, right? Do you mind standing up and showing off Nora and then where's Hammer and Hank? Is he in the crowd? henry we call him henry but we all know who hammer and hank is right okay good so what i want to know what you guys want you guys to know is we've been praying for you and we're grateful to god for you and your family and the grace of god at work and we will continue to pray for you and your children as you seek to disciple them and as we trust the lord for their very lives and so thank you for being here bringing them to church um Now we're transitioning, and so every year, Sanctity of Life Sunday, probably, I don't know, Ricardo, for a number of years now, maybe missing one or two here and there, Ricardo Davis um, comes and speaks to us as a church, and for those of you who don't know who Ricardo is, Ricardo is a longtime member of Sovereign Grace Church, over two decades of attendance. I like saying it like that. It just makes you sound a little bit wiser. And older. Anyways, Ricardo is also the president of the Georgia Right to Life and has been serving there faithfully for years. And uh, Ricardo is also my, I don't even know what you call, personal mentor, discipler in all things politics as well as uh, right to life issues. And he's endured with me in my ignorance when I first met him at the age of 27. And we laugh about it a little bit. And still my ignorance in a lot of ways where I just I bounce my crazy ideas off of him all the time and just say this is what I'm hearing this is what I'm thinking please guide me in the right direction and so I share that with you again I know I do this a lot is is when you think something and you have questions about something whether it's politically or anything in regards to this issue with life um, Ricardo really is uh, a wise man Ricardo has spent years fighting for life. Ricardo has spent years surrounded by godly men and godly women who have been fighting for life. And um, also politically, the behind the scenes on some of these things where, where he kind of really knows the real answers and not just the media answers sometime. And uh, he's also a very humble man. And he will bear with our ignorance at times. And he's he's you know, born mine and in a lot of ways. And so I just say that Ricardo's humble and he's a godly man. And when he says he's been praying for you, he's he's not joking. He's he's been praying for you and he will continue to pray for you. He's just a, a prayer warrior. And so I like for Ricardo to come up. Um, please welcome him as he just sort of helps us grow in this issue again this year. Thank you, Ricardo.
1: everyone. And I am live. All right. Well, with that, um, one of the things I joke with Aaron about often when I get a chance to do this is, you know what? You know, when I was growing up in the churches that I attended, this 30-minute sermon thing was not a... (laughs) No, no, no. Brother... You came to church, and it was in the lunchtime before the preacher wound down. <laughs> but since we are going to, I believe, take some time to pray after the message, I am not going to belabor the Lord willing land this in about 30 minutes, uh, and I would covet your prayers in particular that the Lord would not only just open the eyes uh, to the spiritual realm of justice and and the political implications. And then, Lord, especially in the country we live in right now, what part do we play in that? So today, uh, we are going to go to a few scriptures Uh, We're going to be in Romans. We're going to be in Deuteronomy. Uh, My message today is the civil magistrate and his duty to protect life. The civil magistrate and his duty before God Almighty to protect life. Let's pray. Oh, Father God. You gave your Son not only to redeem the world, but to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All authority resides in Christ. To that end, Father, help us, Lord, to not just rejoice in that, but, Father, honor your son, fully, with regard to His place, His preeminence over all things, everything, Lord, pertaining to our lives, Father, uh, it, it, I, I, I marvel how in Sunday morning, uh, just the met, the songs that we sing, just really uh, prepare us, Father. And this morning, Father, the power of the cross nailed it. The power of the cross changes lives. The great and the small. To that end, Father, let us continue to pray in faith that he will use us individually, that he will use us as a church. To advance the glorious reign of Jesus. It's in that great name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, uh, last week we recognized uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day and the man's contributions to the maintenance of justice by insisting that America, and in particular, our elected officials, established justice for, if I can pull up Paul the Apostle, my people. <laughs> Men and women of African descent, in particular those who were brought here and not, they, they didn't come on their own volition. They were sold and brought here. In this day, or excuse me, in that day, the question before the nation of what does justice look like for my dad's generation divided churches. And we're going to dive into what that meant then. Now, on this side of it, we see, a, so we, we see it a lot more clearly. Clearly. Oh, it was wrong to do those things, but because we are decades away from what happened then, we do need to ask the question, does the same standard that applied to what Martin Luther King Jr. was preaching about with regard to the rights of men apply regardless to who you are. Regarding the crimes committed here in Georgia and the other southern states in King's Day, the answer to the question, well, let's just say he was clear and he was bold. For example, in 1963, the year I was born, Dr. King was arrested for his part in organizing a peaceful, nonviolent boycott over in Birmingham to bring attention to these issues of justice. While he was in jail, six religious leaders there in Birmingham essentially wrote an open letter to the city advocating the halting of the boycotts and allowing the courts to settle the problems. King's response, we now know as a letter from a Birmingham jail. And it provides an apt illustration of the cultural impact of the rejection of God's law in the area of civil government and what what impact that has on a community. So allow me to quote, a pertinent portion, if we can get it on the screen there, and I will read it. Um, The Negroes in the South have waited for more than 340 years for our constitutional and God-given rights. The nations of Asia and Africa are moving with jet-like speed toward the goal of political independence, and we still creep at horse-and-buggy pace toward gaining a cup of coffee at the lunch counter. I guess it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. But when you have seen the vicious mobs lynch your fathers and mothers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled police curse, kick, brutalize and even kill your black brothers and sisters with impunity. Then you will understand why it is difficult for us to wait. He goes on. These are just a few examples of just and unjust laws. There are some instances when a law is just on its face and unjust in its application. For instance, I I was arrested Friday on a charge of parading without a permit. Now, there's nothing wrong with an ordinance that permits a parade or requires a permit for a parade. But when the ordinance is used to preserve segregation and to deny citizens the First Amendment privilege of peaceable assembly and peaceful protest, then it becomes unjust. Now, today in our culture, it's common to use words like justice with an adjective, right? We know about climate justice. We, know, we hear about reproductive justice. We hear about social justice and the like. You know, pop culture tells us stories of who are the victims, and how to empathize with those victims to bring justice to them. And laws are being changed, even this day, to protect those victims of justice and to punish those who violate and those who oppress those. But have you ever asked yourself, would you hear these things, What is justice? What is it? Or how do we know something is just? This morning, we're going to focus our attention on one aspect of Dr. King's dispute. What is the proper role of the civil magistrate, whether we're talking about the state governor, the federal congressman, the city policeman, or the judge, the the county judge, in relation to God's moral law? And what does God require of the civil magistrate in regard to the protection of life from intentional homicide? We will take an example from Scripture of a trial that ended in gross, in a gross miscarriage of justice. How that's repeated even today. And then see what we are called to do as Christians. We will see that all civil magistrates have authority from God to establish justice according to His word, His law, and that they are accountable to God when they allow the shedding of innocent blood to go unpunished. Just like it was in King's day, it hasn't changed today. Since today, this day, is the 50th anniversary of the Supreme Court decision of Roe versus Wade, most people in Georgia think that abortion in this state has ended with the Dobbs decision. But I can tell you, my brothers and sisters, it hasn't. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well. As a matter of fact, the intentional killing of children in the womb is actually growing in spite of our current regulations here in Georgia. Well, why is this? A few reasons. Now, the regulations we currently have on the books, the Life Act that was passed in 2019 and essentially overcame its challenges in the courts Because of some fundamental flaws in that legislation, abortion on demand remains a profitable business, if you can call it that, here in Georgia. Thirteen abortuaries in this state, they haven't shut down. They are still killing children. And as a matter of fact, we got on-the-ground intelligence at Georgia Right to Life. The minute the Life Act survived this court challenges, we were looking at what was happening in those abortion clinics. And the parking lots are still full. But I tell you right now, you're not going to hear about that in the news, right? You're not. What we need to do is we need to understand that if our laws aren't changing things, and we need to look a little deeper and ask, ask, answer the question. Why? And then go back to the standard. So let's do that. Um, my next point in the Word of God, there are four governments and two paths. Four governments and two paths. Now, first of all, uh, for the young folks in the back, I'm going to get all didactic here. What does it mean to govern? The dictionary definition of this verb is to direct, to regulate, to control. Thus, the action of government is to exercise authority to control, restrain, manage, and direct. So now, as the creator, God has supreme and ultimate authority over all his creation, period. Nothing is accepted there. He then established four realms of government revealed in scriptures and then delegated authority to representatives in each realm. And I'm going to quickly name these. So you got self-government. In the scriptures, this is talked about as self-control or being led by the Spirit. To confirm the will of God. God gives us as regenerated men and women the authority to govern ourselves according to his will. The second, the second government is family government. God began the story of creation by creating a man and then a woman and then a marriage. And then blessing them and telling them to be fruitful and multiply. He then makes clear the government of the family, the roles and responsibilities of husbands, wives, and children. The church. Christ fulfilled all the promises of the old covenant by establishing his kingdom, sending his apostles out to disciple the nations by teaching them all that he commanded. You remember Matthew 28? at the end of the, ch- end of the chapter there. Go, therefore, and then tribes and nations. See, Matthew didn't say Jesus' command was go out and disciple the individuals. It was to go disciple the nations, okay? God, having divided ma- mankind at Babel, thus made every tribe and nation of mankind having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation. That's Acts 17. Now, Lord God being the great governor of his creation has set before all men two paths. So we got the four governments. Now here are the two paths. You can turn your Bible to uh, Deuteronomy 30. Starting in verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day. That I have set before you life and death, blessing and a curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Now, in, the, in our context, in America, we are very accustomed to hearing about the two paths in the realm of self-government, and in the realm of family government. On occasion, you will even hear the two paths talked about in church government, and usually in the context of church discipline. But we rarely hear preaching, yeah, we, we do hear it here, but in the, in the general context, we rarely hear preaching on the two paths in the context of civil government. When a people turn to God in obedience to Him and choose both church and civil leaders that honor God, blessing follows. And when the people turn from Him and in their rebellion choose church, and civil leaders that do not honor God, cursing follows. And if you're taking notes, because time is moving on, I'm just going to check out Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 18 through 31. Now to the text. That was a long lead-in. In Romans 13, and I'm going to key in on the, on the two verses there, verses 3 and 4. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct. Dr. King was making this plain in the letter. But they are a terror to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger of those who, uh, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. That's your New Testament. Now, let's go back to Deuteronomy. Starting in chapter 16, verse 19. Deuteronomy 16, 19. You, and this is God's command to the civil magistrate. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. And then in chapter 27 of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 27, verse 25, where God's basically having the people recite. The blessings and the curses. And in verse 25 it says, "Cursed is anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood. And all the people shall say amen. We aren't, and I'm not just talking about people in this room, but mankind is not left to their own devices to figure out the basic structure of law. You, the individual, is not the source and determiner of government. That's what we call anarchy. And neither is the tribe or nation through whether we call it monarchy or whether we do it through democracy. Neither of those is the supreme authority and lawgiver. God is. So here's the point. God authorizes Civil magistrates to establish justice according to his law. Therefore, our universal accountability to him is integral to Christian discipleship and community. So I'm going to first deal with the civil magistrate being bound to uphold the moral law of God. Okay? We already talked about Matthew 28. Let me just hone in on the fact that Jesus, in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, commandment, in his commandment for us to love our neighbors as ourselves, we see really the core of what God expects of the civil magistrate. If we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, then if we're in a position of power, Then we are to love the one we judge and to use the same standard of justice to those that we oversee as we would want to receive justice, right? Proverbs 24, verses 11 and 12 say this to that end Rescue those who are being taken away to death, hold back those who are stumbling to slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? My brothers and sisters, not only does God see it all, but he sets clear terms regarding the unjust taking of a life and our responses to the injustice. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to quickly move to the fact that the Lord, our Savior, was a victim of injustice. If you turn to John 11... Allow me to illustrate this. And this is the trial that was the pivot of history. We've already talked about how shedding innocent blood is an abomination in God's sight. But we rarely think about how this applies to our salvation with regard to what happened to Jesus. Right after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, over in John chapter 11, starting in verse 45, therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus had done. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. And I'm going to underline what I'm about to read here. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. See, these, the men of the council, the Sanhedrin, they had a position as civil magistrates as well as religious rulers. And they... Understood that Jesus was a threat to them at that time. Given the history of revolts against the government of Rome by the Jews, one might be inclined to think, "Well, you know, yeah, the Sanhedrin may may have had a point there." However, even though there had been many insurrections happen. We can see that on this side of the cross, God was going to use the desire of the Sanhedrin to keep their political power as it were as God's means to show the world the sinfulness of sin and bring forth a resurrection after it. Now, when, when the Sanhedrin, after they condemned Jesus because he claimed to be God, they brought him to Pilate. Scroll down to verse 52. Pilate recognized what was going on because he questioned Jesus and he didn't see anything that he had done that deserved his Capital punishment. And then he got it. Uh, And if you're writing this down, Matthew 27, 18, it says that for he, that is Pilate, knew that because of envy, they had handed him over for capital punishment. And the leaders of the Jews chose Barabbas And incited the people to do the same. And today. As uh, politicians stir up their constituents. To support the politicians causes. uh, We see the same dynamic happening over and over again. If you say stop. Wait a minute. You get run over. Uh, As we say today you get cancelled. In these cases so called justice. All the the kinds of justice that we see today, a lot of it, quite frankly, is nothing more than the means of politicians to keep and sustain their power. That's all it is. Whether we're talking about climate justice, so in all of it. And as we know, the leaders of the Jews incited the people to cry out, We want Barabbas, and to the Lord of Lords, crucify him. My brothers and sisters, nothing has changed. We see that it is our responsibility, even though Jesus was condemned on the false charge Of being worthy to die. God used it. To further his purposes. So now. I'm going to close with this. Let's talk about. Being salt and light. Matthew 5. You know we are. When God saved us. When God has gathered us together. We are to be a city set on a hill. We are to be a preservative salt and we are to be a light. We are to, as it were, to expose the darkness and to scatter it. So with that, let's turn to the specific issue of the shedding of the blood of innocent children in the womb God wants us to support the civil magistrate in fulfilling their responsibility before God to protect innocent life first and foremost in that support we have to choose rulers who will honor God in their official capacity now, in the ancient Hebrew Republic, God commanded the people to choose wise, understanding, and experienced men in the administration of government. And if I could, let's go back to Deuteronomy. This is worth reading. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 1, starting in verse 13. At that time I said to you, and this is Moses speaking, I am not able to bear you, that is, to judging the people by myself. The Lord has multiplied you, and behold, today you are as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are, and bless you as he has promised you. How can I bear myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Here it is. Truths for your tribes, wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me. And this should be our response to this. The thing you have spoken is good for us to do. So Moses said, I took heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you. Commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged the judges at that time. Hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother. Or for the alien. Who is with them. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small. And the great alike. You shall not be intimidated. By anyone. For the judgment is. God's. And if the case. Or and the case that's too hard for you. You shall bring to me. And I will hear it. Now. Those civil magistrates were to look to God's word and judge righteously the cases brought before them, to not be partial, to not favor the poor, or not to favor those with no political influence. They were not to be intimidated by those who would want an unjust ruling in their favor, like the Sanhedrin. Nor allow the love of money and power to frustrate justice by taking bribes, Judas Iscariot. Our system of government, my brothers and sisters, rests upon a foundation. And that foundation is in the faith that we profess, in particular, the Protestant understanding of authority, law, and government. And we got some books back there that talk about this (laughs) in the bookstore. I am sure of it. Right, Tina? Amen. But here's the thing. (sighs) We have to understand that those principles do not change. And the expectation was that our founding fathers, and not just of the, the founders that gave us our current frame of government, but 150 years before that when the men and women landed here on the mayflower they had a vision of establishing justice by honoring god as a community in their government president john adams observed that in the federal constitution that document was quote made for a only For a moral and religious people, it is wholly inadequate for the government of any other, unquote. As a representative of this constitutional republic, our representatives are elected to serve in office today, and they are reflective of the people they serve, and they reflect the priorities of the people. So now you can see if that is the case. That our problem at its core isn't getting enough people to get out and vote. We, my brothers and sisters, are living in an apostate Christian nation. We have turned our back to the faith of our forefathers. We have turned our backs on God. And we are in desperate need of reformation and revival. The discipleship that we need, that we get here, is the headwaters of what God must do to restore blessing in this nation. Therefore, as a church, God has given us the mission to take the good news all over this community. And quite frankly, as God's people work together all over this state, and as God changes the hearts of people in our communities, we see that, oh, our priorities change. And as our priorities change, the people that we elect, that we want to represent us, well, we want people to, to essentially make our priorities represented in our government. So we will choose men who fear God. The bottom line is this. When election time comes, brothers and sisters, don't just look at the tens of slick political, huge postcards, you all know what I'm talking about. They get, it, they get popped in your mailbox. It's like a gift every day. <laughs> you know, oh, I got three today. <laughs> Don't take those things. Don't take the voter guys. Don't look at the commercials. And nowadays, the text messages that blow up on your phone days before the election. Don't take those things at face value. Your question must be, What does this word have to say about it? You don't have to have a degree in political science. And quite frankly, you don't have to have a year in pastor's college to get this. Our discipleship, we have been so blessed to be in a place where God has has laid a foundation for us to judge Because we have the Word of God, and we know how to go to the Word of God. It is incumbent upon us then to apply the Word of God, to evaluate what the candidates are saying. And in particular, as it concerns the issues of life and death. And today I'm going to pick on the beginning of life because it's a Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. If the man or woman asking for your vote comes up and says, well, yeah, I'm I'm personally pro-life, but then you need to press them. But what? What is it that gives someone the excuse to kill a child in the womb? Don't be afraid to ask them the question. And if they are professing to be a believer, now, you you can use this as an educational moment. Let's talk about it. What does God's word say about not judging some people with the same standard of justice that we would want? But be warned, brothers and sisters, when you start asking questions like this, of what the Bible requires of the candidate in their public life as well as their private life, you're going to meet some resistance. Uh, You might get shut down on Facebook. I'm just saying. (laughs) Your Twitter feed might show a little hate, but that's okay. Even though there's a growing resistance to this, let me tell you what, the resistance is there Because the light is shining. We must not just know the word, but we must avail ourselves, brothers and sisters, of reminding ourselves and then reminding those who would seek to represent us that they are God's ministers of justice. And they don't get a chance, they don't have the right to decide what is good and evil. They don't. And quite frankly, we, I don't care if you're a Christian or not, we don't have the right to decide what's good and evil. So we must pray. We must communicate, whether it's our our family members, our friends, our folks at work or school. We must help them to see that God's imperative is that we must protect all innocent life. And the civil magistrate is required by God. Not just to... Praise those that do right. But as it says in Romans 13, he is the minister of God's vengeance to those who break his moral law. And with that, I would like for us to pray. And I would like for us to pray. And brother, see, you didn't get the, the full.
0: <laughs> I'll tell them what they missed. Yes. <laughs>
1: you didn't get the, the full black church experience today. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Can we thank Ricardo for serving us this morning, please? Yes, yeah. Amen. So, what I'd like to do for us as a church in closing mm. um, is yes. one of the things Ricardo recommended is that that is that we pray and as I talk to Ricardo and I get involved more and more and talk to Phil Phil's also a a great resource Um, I was also sitting there Alan I hope